First Corinthians were about three quarters of the way through. You kind of you navigate the Bible. You're up in the middle of the Psalms, a little bit more in the New Testament. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter seven. We read verse one now with regard to the issues you wrote about. It's answering a question. It's very specific to the Corinthians, but again, we're going to learn from the situation. They did not ask this specific question, but we still want to learn from it. Uh, now, with regard to the issues you wrote about, Paul's response, what he's responding to is this. The Corinthians have said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. They're trying as a community, all of them are going to be celibate the whole time. What they're saying is none of them are going to have any kind of sexual activity, ever. And you can kind of see their thinking if they've been told really clearly that sexual immorality is so bad, as we talked about for a few weeks at the end of last year, we're going to stay away from it all. And that's their response. They're being told, look, you should be like everybody else around you. It's free, free sexually. Uh, you can sleep with anybody you like, whenever you like. Hire a prostitute, no problem. So Paul's saying, look, stop being like everybody else sexually. So their response is quite an immature response to being told to modify your actions. It's quite childlike. Like when you tell a kid, hey, don't do this like this, and they say, fine, I'll never do it ever again. But in that moment, it's quite a childlike response. So they've been told, look, you need to be different to everybody else around you with how you use your body. But their response is, all right, fine. None of us will ever sleep with anybody ever again. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. We'll stop. We've gone from 100 to zero. Paul's response to that is, look, how do you think? That's going to work out. You're 100 to zero. He makes a spur of the moment decision to all, married or single, you're all going to become celibate just like that. How do you think that is going to go? You've been told up a little bit. Your view, you've uh, recalibrated, you've had your thoughts about this particular area of your life, refocused through scripture, very clear, confirmed teaching on how to use your bodies. Instead of taking that on board and adjusting what you're doing, you're saying, fine, we'll do nothing ever, ever again. Paul says, how do you think that's going to go? If you all become celibate all of the time, that's not what I'm saying, he says. Let's read a little bit more. He says, look, but because of immorality, because of who and how you are, each man should have a relationship with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. It's not the wife who has the right to her own body, but the husband. And in the same way, it's not the husband who has the right to his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual agreement, for a specified time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then, resume your relationship, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul's kind of refocused their thinking about physical relationships. They've said, fine, we'll do nothing ever. He said, no, that's not how do you think that's going to work out? If you all 
try and stuff down and bottle up the desires that you're made with, it's going to be even worse than if you use them in a healthy and holy way. So here is the healthy and holy outlet for your sexual desires. Each man should have relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Paul knows. And you know how God has made you. You know if you've been made with these desires. And if you have, there is a healthy and a holy outlet for them. He says a husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. We said at the end of last year that any kind of sexual activity outside of this, this covenant, this marriage, uh, this, this very committed and God-ordained relationship of one man and one woman, is porneia. We said it covers everything outside of a God-ordained heterosexual marriage woman, it's kind of a misinterpretation and abuse of the good gift of sex. So rather than scrap it all, Paul is saying, he's actively rejecting that idea, like, no, you don't need to all become celibate all of the time. He's actively rejecting the idea that sex within marriage is bad. He says, do not deprive each other except by mutual agreement for a specified time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So he said, look, if you've got something massive going on in your life and you need to, you feel like you really need to fast and pray, really seek the Lord over a huge decision, he says, right, all right, I guess, hit pause on your physical relationship and turn your focus upward for a time. But then he says this is not a permanent thing because of your immoralities, because of how you are made in the flesh, because you're fallen and fallible and prone to temptation. He says resume your relationship so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul knows, and you know, how God has made you. As a spur of the moment, decided as a community, all of us, married or single or what, to be celibate, to give up all sexual activity in your marriage. It's just a terrible idea, Paul says. But the concession, not command, is I guess if you really want to, you could hit pause for a period if you really want to. It's really important that we see what he writes in verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. So this notion of, look, spouse, uh, let's pause our physical relationship for a mutually agreed-upon period whilst we really seek the Lord by X, Y, or Z is a concession, not a command. This is indicative. You can try this. It's not imperative. You don't have to do this. If you feel like you can maintain a healthy and holy physical relationship with your spouse whilst still having a very healthy prayer life, then do. Then, then go for it. Have both. You're made to have both. But Paul is considering the fleshly weakness of his readers, of you and of me, and saying, all right, look, if you really want to try this 
celibate but still married in a more holy way of living. It's right. But it's a concession, it's not a command. You don't have to do this. It's just not true. So look, if in your heart of hearts and if you've got governed, born again conscience, you're made with these desires, these desires to have a physical and sexual relationship with somebody, there is a healthy and a holy outlet for them. And it's the marriage that we've talked about for a few weeks. The God-ordained institution, a heterosexual marriage between one man and one woman. So the Corinthians have been told, they've been reminded, in your physical relationship life, in every area of your life, you need to be different from the not yet believers all around you. Now they've put their, their hope and their trust and their faith in Jesus. Now their lives are on a very different trajectory. Now they're headed towards a different destination. Their former lifestyles, uh, their former sins, now they've repented of those, led them out from the truth of Scripture. There is a new path to walk. It's the same for you and for me. It's one of sexual purity and fidelity, which is absolutely not how they were living before they came to faith. It's not how everybody around them was living as well. And it, we might not have asked this same question of those in our church leadership as they did to Paul, but it's exactly the same for you and for me. Former sins old lifestyle that we thought was fine before you came to faith in Jesus has been repented of. Or it needs to have been, it should, it should have been repented of. Once we become born again, once we put our faith in Jesus to forgive our sins and save us into life eternal, there is a new way of living. And part of it here that Paul is talking about is one of sexual purity and fidelity, different to everybody else around you. So if I'm not going to ask for hands. If you were a little bit Corinthian in your pre-coming to faith life, if you saw no problem with sex outside of marriage, with whoever, whenever, then that has to be repented of. Now you know how God wants you to use your body, all of you, all of the time, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And the principle that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 1 is very, very true for you. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. So now you know that there is a different way of living. Now you know how God wants you to use your body. How? That there is now a healthy and a holy outlet for those desires. It's on you to do it. If you were a little bit Corinthian, in your free coming to faith life, that needs to be repented of sincerely. And you will be forgiven. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus says. That's gone. The old is gone. How you used to think about things, how you used to behave, God, the new is here. The new creation that you are understands and actually wants to live a life of scriptural sexual purity and fidelity because now you know that there is a healthy and a holy outlet for those desires marriage so to the Corinthians 
overcorrection of the right fault. If we can't have sex with everyone, we'll have sex with no one. We've seen that marriage is the healthy and holy outlet for those desires. But what then if those desires are not overly strong in your life? What if those desires are not even present at all in your life? Does that mean that you're kind of extra broken as a person? Are you missing out on what God wants to you? We're all broken and fallen, fallible sinners. But, you know, if, if sex within a marriage isn't super high on your to-do list, does that mean that, that you're even more odd than the rest of us? No. It absolutely does not mean that. If these desires are not really prevalent in your life, if you don't feel these on a daily basis, but this is not something that you feel like you genuinely want in your life, it doesn't mean that you're any worse off than those who are married and feel those desires. Paul says, look, all that being said, your body matters, section of morality, the one-way ticket away from eternity, you can fulfill those desires within a marriage. He says, all that gives say, I wish that everybody was as I am, for each has his own gift from God. Uh, read with me from verse 7. He says, I wish that everyone was as I am, for each has his own gift from God. One this way, another that. So to the unmarried and widows, I said that it is best for them to remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, let them get married. For it's better to marry than to burn with sexual desire. So, if sex within a marriage is super high on your to-do list, does it mean you're even more weird and different and more than broken than the rest of us? If those desires aren't really on your radar, is something wrong with you? No, absolutely not. Paul says each has his own gift from God, one this way, another that. It's really important that we don't open that up further than the context in which it's given. One this way, another that. He is talking about being married or being single. They are the two options. They are the two camps that he's talking about for sexual activity. It's either active in marriage, one man, one woman, or it's not. It, that we cannot take as well. One this way, another that way. That it, it has to stay in its context. We're talking about marriage, and we're talking about singleness. No other sexual activity. We can't squeeze it into this one. It's just not what he's talking about. He's saying, look, marriage is a gift from God, but also. Singleness and therefore celibacy is a gift from God. They're gifts from God, just like every other gift that he's going to write about and explain uh, later in this letter. He uses the same word uh, here in chapter 7 as he does in chapter 12, where we read there are different gifts, but the same spirit. So as Paul talks about hospitality, uh, teaching, healing, prayer, all the gifts of the Spirit that he's going to talk about later in this letter. 
He is grooming marriage and singleness and therefore celibacy in that says all they're all gifts from God. He says, man, I wish you were like me. I wish that everybody was as I am. He means single and he means therefore celibate, not desperate to find a healthy and holy outlet for sexual desire. I wish you were like me, but you know, it's all right if you're not. Because each has his own gift from God. One this way, another that. One married, another single. Now before you think, well, that's very good, Paul, but how can you tell me about X, Y, and Z? Uh, Paul wasn't uh, some kind of armchair theologian, like the guy who sits up and watches sport, TV, it's really mad because you shouldn't be doing that. I can do that. Paul's not that guy. Uh, he's speaking of both uh, from experience, telling people that being married or single is absolutely fine. They're both gifts from God. So, as a quick, just a really quick sidebar, at the time of writing, Paul was unmarried. He says to the unmarried and widows, I say, best for them to remain as I am. Unmarried when he wrote this letter. Uh, most probably married from that time. There are a couple of points uh, in Scripture, a couple of things he says that point to a, the very strong possibility that Paul uh, was married at one point in time. It's not the main thing that we're talking about, so if you do want to uh, learn a little bit more, grab me afterwards. But all that to say, Paul can speak of both from experience. When he wrote this, he's not married. There are some things that we learn about him, some things that he says a little bit earlier in the New Testament that point to the very strong possibility that he was married at one point. But again, all I have to say, he can speak of both from experience. So, man, I wish you were like me. I wish you didn't. You weren't desperate to find a healthy and holy outlet for your sexual desires. But you know what? It's, it, it, that's you, that's fine. There is a healthy enough Married. It's been married. It's married. But both are fine. It's a personal thing. It is a gift from God. And both marriage and singleness are in their own ways wonderful. So it is not Paul's job, and it is not my job, and it is never, <laughs> it's not your job either, to tell people that you should or shouldn't get married. Paul tells Timothy, look, to forbid people to get married is the, the doctrine theme. Don't ever cross that line in tell people that you should never get married. Uh, very, very simply then, uh, if you don't have the gift of singleness, sure, pursue marriage. If you do, don't. It's really, really simple. If you don't have the gift of singleness, yes, pursue marriage. This is a deeply personal thing. If you do have that gift, and you know whether you do or not, you know whether you want to be married or not. If you don't have that gift of singleness, pursue it. It's a good and a healthy and a holy thing to want. If you don't, so if you do have that gift of singleness, don't pursue it, but you know whether you want to be or not. You know if you made that gift or not. We can help you uh, discover and realize whether you've got that gift or not, as with any other gift of spirit. What we can't do is prescribe it for you. 
We can't teach you how to grow your own gifts. How to, we can't give you what God has done. That's not how we play It's just not how it works. Uh, Jesus says, says the same thing, in the paraphrase. We can't give you what God has given you. Uh, marriage is a gift from God, singleness, and therefore celibacy is a gift from God. So if you, you don't have the gift of singleness, yes, pursue marriage. If you do have that gift, no, there's nothing wrong with either way. Each group of people, married, single, is gifted uniquely. And there is nothing more or less spiritual, there is nothing more or less holy about being married or remaining single. These are massive, big, huge, monumental life decisions that shouldn't be undertaken lightly. So when the Corinthians said, hey, look, fine, you're going to tell us how we should uh, have sex with one, or we just want everything. Paul says, well, how do you think that's going to work out? You're going to repress these desires, you're going to follow these desires, and it's going to end up worse than if you just do things how it's supposed to be done. But it's a huge, big life decision that shouldn't be undertaken lightly. And this is one of so many uh, great examples of why the, the community, us, the big church family, is so important. Because yes, I can tell you what scriptures say, I can tell you what it means, I can help you and equip you to, to find the answers. We can pray together, we can look at very practical things together, but at the end of the day, I'm married. And so yes, I can explain and apply scripture. We can talk about the context, we can talk about the word, what does it mean? We can talk about all that stuff. But if you want the personal experience of someone who has lived for a season or is living now, the God-given gift of singleness, that's not coming from me. So you need to interact with, to lean on and learn from other members of the church family. Which is why it's so important that Friday here now, this is great, we love this, it's a highlight of your week, gather with your believing brothers and sisters. This shouldn't be it for our interaction during the week, not just Friday friends. We're a big, beautiful community that's doing life together. We're not an audience that listens to a TED talk once a week. And I'm not the font of all knowledge about marriage. Can ask Robin. Uh, <laughs> certainly not single, so we've been married for a little, a little bit now. I'll not tell you how long she has to correct me anyway. Um, so each group, it's about 10 years now. Ah, uh, each group, married, single, is gifted uniquely. There is nothing more holy, less holy, more spiritual, less spiritual about being married. You don't really start to live a Christian life and say, I do. And you're not missing out if you're single. Whichever gift you have now, this season, it is God's gift to you. And it is God's enabling that will allow you to love being in that gift, to flourish in that season. Uh, there was a hymn writer, Margaret Clarkson, she said this, she was aged 74, she wrote this, she said, single through no fault or choice of my own, I am unable to express my sexuality in the beauty and intimacy of Christian marriage as God intended. To seek to do this outside of marriage is, 
by the clear teaching of Scripture to sin against God and my own nature. I have no alternative but to live a life of voluntary celibacy, chaste not only in body but in mind and spirit. And then she said this, she said, I want to go on record as having proved that for those who are committed to do God's will, his commandments are his enabling. That you do feel like for this season, or even longer term, you do have the gift of singleness. And God says, sex in marriage, everything else outside of that is sin. And Margaret Clarkson said then, if you are committed to do his will, if you take his words seriously, his commandments, what he says you should be doing, are his enabling. When you commit to living out his word, you find yourself able to do so. So whatever gift you have right now, this season, or even longer term, whether it is being married, or whether it is being single, it is God's gift. It is a good and beautiful gift to you. And it is his enabling that will allow you to flourish in that gifting, being married or being single. It is God alone, not you, not me, not even us, we combine our insights, that enables Christians to be married or single. You can go and see what Jesus said about this in Matthew 19, verse 12. God who enables Christians, believers, to be married or single and flourish in that particular gifting. So Paul's building from this point about sexual immorality, where we've seen that there's the, the God-ordained institution of marriage between one man and one woman is the singular, healthy and holy outlet for your sexual desires. If you're unmarried, you're single and you do not struggle with sexual desires, then marriage is not the be-all and end-all of your faith life. You're not missing out. Being married is not the pinnacle of your faith life. Your Christian life doesn't begin in earnest when you get married. You're not missing out. If God has called you and gifted you to singleness, either for a season or for the long haul. There is no more holy path being married or being single. Both are gifts of God. Both honor God, living out your calling, honor God, whether you're married or whether you're single. Both give you ample and abundant opportunities to live out the gospel day by day. Both are very, very fulfilling. Both offer rich relationships with God and with other people. There is no more holy path being married or being single, but both gifts from God. Because just think, Jesus didn't die for the married, and Jesus didn't die for the single. Jesus died and rose once. For all. Amen? Jesus died for the married people. Jesus didn't die for the single. There are no groups within the gospel, married or single. 
because as Paul writes in another letter, in Christ Jesus we are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For all of us who were baptized into Christ and clothed ourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, there is no married or single in the gospel. There is no married or single into eternity. For all of us, married or single are one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Marriage is good. It is a gift from God. Singleness is good. It is a gift from God. So however you find yourself now or in the future, it is a gift from God. And they don't gifts don't get better than that. If you're married, see your spouse as a gift from God. See your marriage as a gift from God. See it as a daily opportunity to live out the gospel in close proximity to another person. And you know people are difficult. The more time you spend with people, they get more difficult. If you're married, that is your first and foremost opportunity to live out the gospel day by day. The forgiveness, the grace, the selflessness that is needed for a marriage to flourish. And if you're single, see your singleness as a gift from God. See it as a daily opportunity to be 100% entirely focused on who God wants you to be, what God wants you to be doing, where He wants you to be going, to be wholeheartedly committed to Him. However you find yourself now, in this season, or long term, very possible, it is a gift from God. God loves you to the point of death, and your marital status will never, ever, ever change. Jesus didn't die for Mary. Jesus didn't die for single. Jesus died once for all. There are no groups within the gospel. There are no married. There are no single into eternity marriage is just not there. It's a wonderful opportunity here to live out the gospel, solely being single. Jesus didn't die for marriage, Jesus didn't die. There's four again. There's no Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, no marriage, there's no single. We're all one in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray.